This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Today I want to talk to us about what it means to follow God's blueprint for our lives. Say it with me, blueprint. If you have a picture, let's throw it up there. We're going to follow God's blueprint. If you've ever seen a blueprint before, this is what it looks like. A blueprint is kind of a reproduction of a technical or schematic drawing. You see them used in in engineering uh, and construction. And uh, it was first introduced by this guy named John Herschel in 1842. How about that? Before Utah was even a state. In 1842, he came up with this concept of reproducing designs on light-sensitive photo paper. That's actually where this started. And the cool thing about a blueprint was that it could be mass-copied and replicated very easily. And in the same way, I believe that God has a special blueprint or a design for our lives, and especially within this thing he calls the church. All throughout this series, we're talking about the uprising of the church both then and now. Because I believe that God's word is not just a story about them, it's an invitation for us to enter into what he's doing now. And so if you have your Bibles, open them with me to the book of Acts chapter 2. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, and we're going to look at today what I'm going to call a blueprint for our lives. The title of my message is this, Following the Blueprint, Following the Blueprint, Acts chapter 2. We're going to begin today with verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to fast forward a little further into the story and pick up in verse 42. But let's read this together. It says this, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Say one place. Kind of like we are here today. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And may the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet, that you would illuminate the dark places in our lives, that you would speak to us, Holy Spirit, through your God-breathed, inspired word today. We thank you for the blueprint that you have for our lives. We thank you that you as a master crafter, a master designer, have a design for us to step into. And Lord, we don't get to alter it. We don't get to modify it. We don't get to change it. But what we do get to do is surrender to it and to align our lives with it. So align us now with your word. Align our hearts. Align our ears to hear what you want to say. And we pray all these things in the mighty resurrected name of Jesus and all God's people said amen. Before we move forward in the story, I want to focus on a couple things that we see right here in these first four verses. Maybe some of you have read this story before or are familiar with it, but we're going to slow down and pause a moment before we jump ahead because I believe there are some elements to God's blueprint for our lives found right here in these first four verses. So let's jump into number one today. They were all together in harmony. Say it with me, together in harmony. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Some translations like the NKJV, the New King James, say they were in one place in one accord. You guys know what an accord is? An accord is like an agreement that you have to come into unity with somebody else or with something else in your life. 
And so here, the people of God are, the disciples are, Jesus has ascended to be with the Father, and he's commanded them to go and to wait for the promise to come. We talked a lot about that last week, the promise of the Holy Spirit to come. And here they are in this upper room. By the way, I've been there. I was just in Jerusalem a couple of weeks ago. It's a phenomenal place, but this room is about a quarter of the size of this room, so it's not very big at all. It's a tiny little space. And so here they were in this tiny little space they called the upper room, waiting for the promise of God to come. And a mighty rushing wind, the Holy Spirit himself, the Ruach of God, we looked at that word last week in the Hebrew, the holy blast or breath of God enters the room and with it fire. And what do we see? We see wind and we see fire. Wind and fire. And here they are in this place in one accord with one mindset, with one expectation, with one heart. Psalm 133 says this, that where the people of God dwell together in unity, he commands a blessing. Here's what it says. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers or sisters live together in harmony or unity. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil. It's likened to an oil that gets poured out from the top of our heads to the soles of our feet. It's a priestly anointing oil, which means this, that God will always bless and anoint unity. He will always put his spirit on a people that are unified, that are not divided, that are not quarreling among themselves, but that are in harmony together. Because God is not a God of disorder, he's a God of peace. He's not a, he's not a God of dissonance, he's a God of harmony, amen? So when you come into this place, you're invited to join in the song that he's singing, in the, the music he's making, to literally harmonize your life with the lives of other people in bringing your life's tone and note and pitch into alignment with him and with what he's doing in the body. I wanna illustrate this for us today, if that's all right. Pastor Candace, can I have your help for a second? Come on over here. I realized after the fact I forgot my music stand, but stand right over here on this side, and you can hold this microphone for me, because I wanna illustrate this for us, and you can just hold it right here, that'd be great. So this is, this is all of us. This is the single note of our life. That's an F major. And before Christ, this is us out in the world all alone, just striking the same note over and over and over and over. But in Christ Jesus, we are invited to come into this thing we call the church, where we get to harmonize our, our life's notes with, with others. Now, all of a sudden, we have what's called a, a dyad. All right, so that's two notes. And they're not all that exciting, right? Until more people begin to add their notes. And then more people come in and they add their notes. And you hear the harmony that comes when we bring our notes into alignment with others it forms a chord or an accord. They were all in one place, in one accord, get it? But the temptation for some of us 
is that we get stuck on our note. (laughs) And sometimes God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, wants to shift and move things, let's say in a new direction or in a different key, all of a sudden. But we're still stuck (laughs) on our note. I want to have it my way. I want the preacher to say things that I like. I want ministry that's tailored just for me. I want it my way. I don't want to change with the times. I don't want to shift. No, I want it my way. But the song of the Lord has already moved. And now what do we have? We have dissonance. We have disunity. We have disharmony, right? The invitation for us as the people of God, as mature sons and daughters of God, is to move with the music that he's making. Doesn't that sound better? Amen. And the goal is, thank you, Pastor Candace. The goal is, is that we come into harmony with one another. See, one of the things I love about what we do when we come together to sing is that we bring our voices. Yes, some of you who still have voices that only Jesus loves, we, we bring those into the mix and together we lift up what's called a chorus. It's the word Chorus or chord, that's where we get the word chord from. And it's the alignment of all of our lives in such a way that that the music is sweet unto God. What am I saying? I'm saying how pleasant and how wonderful it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity and in harmony with one another. That's the invitation for us. And number one today, God's blueprint for our lives is that we would be together in harmony. Number two, Verse four, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's throw it up there. Number two, they were filled with the Spirit. Last week, I I talked about the promise of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and how God both wants to fill us and rest on us. He wants to be both in us and on us. Say it with me today, in us and on us. We see a picture of this when Jesus went down into the waters. He was baptized into the water. And then when he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. It rested on him like a dove in the personification of a dove. This beautiful picture of what God wants for our lives. When we're baptized into the body of Christ, we're done so through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we can do in the flesh. And then his spirit comes to rest upon us, in us and on us. He fills us for our sake and he rests upon us for the sake of the world, for the sake of those that don't know Jesus, for the sake of being his witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to go on being filled. I like the way Paul says it here in Ephesians chapter five, verse 18. Let's throw it up there. Paul says it this way. Don't be drunk with wine. That's easy to do, but that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled. The Greek is the present tense. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit, meaning it's not a one and done event. It's not a one or done event. The book of Acts in Acts chapter two is not a one and done event. It's an ongoing reality to an everyday invitation for you and I to taste and see that he's good, to be filled with more of him. But here's the dilemma. Some of us look at our lives like this, like a container, and we want God to pour his spirit into us, and then we get frustrated when we feel like we've hit our limit. And the truth is, God doesn't want to just fill your life like a container. He wants to flow through you like a hose, 
like a hose. This is a very poor looking hose. I, I recognize this. It's a very sad hose, but it's the only thing I could come up with today. Because how many of you guys know at some point, if I were to pour water into this cup, it's going to overflow. It's going to spill out. It's going to be wasted. But for a hose, it has a purpose of channeling water so that water can continue to keep flowing through it. Don't worry, I'm not going to spray anybody today. And the idea is a conduit, a hose through which his Holy Spirit can flow in your life. Isn't that what Jesus said in John 7:38? Let's put it up there. He said this, anyone who believes in me may come and drink for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. So God doesn't just want to pour into you. He wants to flow through you. And that's the invitation to a yielded life where we get up every day and we say, Lord, have your way in me. Have your will in me. Work through me. Flow through me. Let living water come up out of me. It's a beautiful picture of his Holy Spirit in our lives. But I want to ask the question, what kinks the flow? What what causes blockage in the hose of your life? Anger? You get angry? Uh-oh, you might have a kink in your hose. Resentment? Just resentful? Bitterness? Anybody ever get bitter? No. How about this one? Unforgiveness? Unforgiveness kinks the hose. It causes blockages in our life that keep the Holy Spirit from flowing. Church, we gotta be a people that allow the work of the Lord, the river of God to flow again because we live in a dry place and there are people all around us that need living water. They need it at your hospital, Leah. And we're so thankful for this young woman that God's brought us, by the way. Brilliant, brilliant woman. Chaplain at Mark's, St. Mark's Hospital, in the midst of a place that's dry. What's the invitation? To let the river flow. For all of us, whether you're a barista or a lawyer, engineer, stay-at-home mom, it's to let the river flow. You get mad at those kids, right? They're, oh, they're driving you crazy. You just want to, like, shake them. Ah! Just me? <laughs> Don't do that. What's the invitation? Let the river flow. Grace, forgiveness, peace, patience, right? All the, the fruits of the work of the Spirit, the fruits of the river, amen? Now let's fast forward a little bit further in the story and let's pick up with verse 42. We're gonna go back next week and, and cover some of these verses that we skipped in a different message, but let's fast forward to verse 42, Acts 2, 42, and it's our third point today, number three. They were devoted to God's word. Verse 42 says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To the apostles' teaching. Here's the question I want to ask us. What are you devoted to? What's your life committed to? What are you faithful to? Because everyone is devoted to something. Even if you would say you're not a very religious person or I'm not a very spiritual person, Pastor Jason, chances are high that you are still someone that's devoted to something, that you have influence in your life, that there's, there's something or someone that has uh, influence over you, even if indirectly. Here's what I believe. I believe that our lives are full of voices that every day are clamoring for our attention. 
They're vying for our devotion on a daily basis, which is why as the people of God, we've got to be committed to heeding God's voice. And we do that by getting in his word. And here's the illustration. We put our ear to the book. God, what do you, what do you want to say to me today? I, I need a word from the Lord. You know where you find it? Right here. You don't have to consult mediums, crystals, or soothsayers. You don't got to go sweat it out in the desert at a sweat hut. You don't need to do, a, what's that thing that Aaron Rodgers did, the darkness retreat? You don't need to do a darkness retreat. Some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> what you need to do is put your ear to the book. Because this is his word. This is his voice. It's alive. It's active. Meaning it has a way of speaking to us like nothing else can. And that's the invitation. To become devoted to his word. Additionally, you'll notice they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Meaning they didn't mix in other strange teachings. They didn't try to add or modify the story because it's his story to tell. Amen? And we don't need to add to it either. We certainly don't need to complicate it. We need to keep it simple and stay faithful to the word. Number three, devoted to God's word. Number four, we also need to be devoted to the fellowship. It goes on to say this, and they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and the fellowship. Anybody ever see the movie, The Fellowship of the Ring? Yes, I talk about the Lord of the Rings at least monthly here at Greatest Church. I'm a bit of a Tolkien nerd. But you guys, if you've seen the, the movie or have read the books, which I encourage you to do because they're different, you'll know the, the, the whole movie happens around this one ring. Can you guys see it? This is my wedding ring, okay? It's not gold. It's technically white gold, but it looks silver. And the whole concept of, of the ring is that this ring had power, too much power for mankind, and it needed to be destroyed. And so this group of hobbits, you know them, Frodo and Sam and Pippin and all the characters enter into this thing called a fellowship with some other elves and, and men to destroy this thing in the fires of Mount Doom or in the fires of Mordor. Okay, you know this. Sam, the character Sam, the, the chubbiest of all, the guy that loved potatoes the most, <laughs> the best friend to Frodo, was devoted. Would you guys agree with me? He was a devoted friend. When the fellowship ultimately breaks down, spoiler alert, when the fellowship breaks down, everybody kind of turns, turns back or, or gets discouraged or gets broken off from the group. But Sam stays devoted to Frodo. He's with him through thick and thin. The Bible says that, that he's like a, a friend that sticks closer to us than a brother. That's Sam and Frodo. And, and at some point, you know, Frodo's at the end of his rope. He's, there's no hope left. He's exhausted. They're climbing the volcano to throw it into the fire and he can't go any further. And Sam's like, what? He's like, I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. And he picks up Frodo and he carries him on his back as a devoted and faithful friend. Why? Because he was devoted to the fellowship. This is the word that we looked at a couple weeks ago, the word Philadelphia. It's the the word for brotherly love. Sam is loyal to him. And I want to say this, that we live in a culture right now where loyalty is looked at as a vice and not a virtue. And I want to encourage us as the people of God to be loyal to the fellowship, to be loyal to this body. For those of you that consider this your home church, to protect each other, not to gossip or get caught up in 
arguments or he said this or she said this, but to protect one another, to protect your pastors, to pray for your leaders, to be devoted to the fellowship. Number five, we also got to be committed to reconciliation. And it says this, devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Now, when you think about reconciliation, do you tend to think about the breaking of bread? Well, today I want you to, Lori. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. I want to put this up here for a moment. Let's go ahead and look at it together. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. This is an invitation to the church to no longer regard each other according to the flesh, meaning to not get into silly and stupid arguments with people. But even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer either. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he or she is a new what? Creation. Let's go to the next slide. He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Because all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I want you to underline that word ministry. Because as a church, this is our ministry to help people become reconciled unto God and to become reconciled to each other. And the verse goes on, next slide. That is, in Christ, God, the Father, was reconciling the whole world to himself, not counting their trespasses or sins against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. I want you to underline that word too. Because our ministry is reconciliation and our message is reconciliation. God makes it very simple for us as the people of God. That we who were once outsiders and lost have now become found. We now have peace with God the Father. We have peace with him. And we who were once enemies or hostile to the things of God and to Christ have now become his friends. And if God has done it with us, guess what? He wants us to do it with others. Meaning, yes, even our enemies. Even our enemies. Remember what Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 44 in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was quoting from Leviticus 19. And let's put it up there. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now time out with me for a moment. Many people wrongly misread this passage of scripture. And I want to help you today because I think everything hinges on it. Many people read this to say that Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament as if the Old Testament said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But the Old Testament never says to hate your enemy. It never says. I've been a pastor now for almost 20 years. I've been walking with Jesus for 35 years. I gotta tell you something. I have searched the Bible. I can't find one place where God tells you and me to hate our enemies. So when we read this, we're like, what do you mean? Jesus, you've heard that it was said. Here was the problem. Jesus was pointing out bad interpretation. He's quoting from Leviticus 19. And if you read Leviticus 19, and I didn't throw it in my slides, but if you read it, it says this, love your neighbor. It never says hate your enemy. And so here was the problem. The Pharisees and the religious folks were reading this in such a way that they were interpreting it that way. They were interpreting loving neighbor must mean that we hate our enemies. And they started to spiral out of control from there. 
And so Jesus turns the tables on what the religious people believed and were causing the people to come under bad interpretation, a bad yoke, bad Torah. And he says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He reiterates Leviticus 19 in the way that it was meant to be heard. To love your neighbor also means sometimes you got to love your enemy. Now, I like my neighbors. <laughs> my neighbors are kind. They're sweet. Most of them are old and retired. I love it. They're, they're wonderful people. They've got a lot of stories to tell about this valley and long before I ever showed up. But they're not my enemies. I don't, I've never seen them as enemies. Maybe for some of you, that's the way you view your neighbors. But I want to help you today to view them the way Jesus loves them. As people that he gave his life for. As people that he died to reconcile to himself. Because remember, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. While we were yet estranged and far off, he died to bring us in. While we were yet Gentiles, we didn't even have a, a right to the covenant. He brings us in through his body, through his blood. Amen? And the calling that he places on our lives now is to go and do the same for others. To love and bless our enemies, not hate them. And how do we do that? What's the best way to love and bless your enemy? By breaking bread together. Come on, somebody. By inviting somebody to the table. That was harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Proverbs twenty-five twenty-one says this. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. Give him bread to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him a cup of water to drink. What's the invitation? To the table. To the table. Because it's, it's hard to be angry with people and mad at those when you got good food in your mouth. Here's the way David said it in Psalm 23. He says that God does what? He, he prepares a table before him in the presence of his enemies. Let's put it up there. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. You see, the invitation for us is to bring people to the table where enemies become friends, where lost become found, where strangers become adopted, where outsiders become people of covenant, where those who are long off become inheritors of a greater promise and a greater purpose for their lives. That's what the church is. And I want to encourage you in this next year, especially in the year of election, don't make enemies out of people that God wants at your table. The old saying is this, it's hard to remain enemies when you've broken bread together. You guys heard that quote before? And it's hard to deny other people what God has so graciously done for us. Friends, this is ultimately what Jesus has done for us. He's given his body and it was broken. For people that bruised him, spit on him, kicked him, plunged nails into his hands and his feet, who made a crown of thorns and shoved it into his skull and scourged him and ultimately pierced his side. Jesus makes a table for them. He prepares a table before us in the presence of the enemies. Wouldn't it be like the son of David to fulfill Psalm 23 in this way? That's what communion's really about. That's what reconciliation is about, amen? So we gotta be committed to reconciliation, number six, rounding the corner. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the 
prayers. As a church, we like to say it this way, and you'll hear us say it until you get sick of it. We are passionate about prayer. We're passionate about entering into the conversation that we get to have with God, both as individuals and as a church together. We're passionate about petitioning heaven's help in all that we do because we believe that God answering our prayers is what changes everything. The scriptures actually say it this way in Philippians chapter four, verse six. Let's throw it up there. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So on one hand, we have prayer as petition. When you're petitioning, you're requesting aid. You're, you're asking for help. Most of our prayer lives are spent asking for help. <laughs> Amen? And if you're not, you need to, because <laughs> you can't do it on your own. But then we also see prayer modeled for us as intercession. Intercession is not us presenting our requests on our behalf. Intercession is presenting requests on behalf of others. And we see a prophetic picture of this in the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 22, verse 30. Here's what God said to the prophet for the people. He said this, and I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. And I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so that I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. You know what God was saying? He's saying, I was looking for someone to intercede on behalf of others. And I wonder sometimes if God looks across the landscape of our lives and says the same thing. I looked for someone in your family that was gonna draw a line in the sand and stand in the gap on behalf of a generation that's going to hell. I looked for somebody that was willing to stand in the gap on behalf of people that don't know me but I found no one. I looked, I searched, but no one was willing to answer the call. Create a church, may we be a people that answer the call to step into the gap on behalf of our families and our loved ones and our friends and our neighbors and our city. Because what we're doing here matters. And what we're doing here is not just about a couple songs and a message as I've said before. What we're doing here as a redemptive presence, as a trans formative witness in this community is that we're testifying that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to his great power at work within us to change and transform your life and my life, to redeem the unredeemable, to bring the lost home, to heal those that are hurting. And so he's looking for a people, oh, that will get beyond the lights and the hazers and step into holy intercession to grab a hold of the altar and say, God, on behalf of my wife that doesn't know you, on behalf of my kids who've walked away as prodigals, on behalf of my friends that are going to hell, on behalf of my city that's caught up in an identity crisis and doesn't know who she is, may you pour out your spirit. May you pour out fire and wind. May you do what only you can do. Would you revive us again? Would you transform our lives? Would you speak to us? Would you use us, God? That's the invitation, church. That's why we're here, to help people become courageous followers of Jesus, yes, but more than that, to encounter the risen Christ. Because when you encounter him, you'll follow him. When you follow him, you'll love him. you fall in love with him. You'll understand how good he is, how much he loves you, and how much good he has in store for your life. And even if you don't, the invitation remains. So we gotta be a people that are passionate about prayer, that have said, not on my watch, you know, not to, to harp on Leah, but thank you, Leah, for answering the call to invest in a generation of young people that need what we have, church. And the call isn't to rescue them when they need to be saved. 
The call is to invest and disciple them now so that they won't need to be later. That's what I want for our church, that we'd be a people passionate about the things of God, passionate about prayer. Number seven, bold in generosity. And all who believe were together, verse 44, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and they were selling their belongings and they were distributing their proceeds to all as any had need. Could you imagine with me for a moment? Let's dream together for a moment, shall we? Could you imagine with me for a moment if the church could get a hold of this revelation again? You know, one of the biggest criticisms I hear besides, oh, they're just in it for the money, which can I just tell you, we're not. <laughs> I don't make enough to, to be in it for the money. Can I just tell you straight up, please hear my heart. I know there are celebrities that do, but hear my heart today. There are so many people that don't understand what it takes, the sacrifice, the blood, the sweat, the tears, the prayers that go into even doing what we are doing here today and to be able to, to get to a place where we can provide this. But can I tell you, this is not enough. It's not enough that we would just come in here, go, yeah, Pastor Jason, that was a great message, and man, the worship touched me, and I felt the presence of God, and then go out and live our lives in such a way to where we hold on to the things that God's put in our hands to bless others with. The church on fire for Jesus, they're selling everything they got. They're going all in. They're distributing what they have. You got a chicken, all right, cool, I got a cow. <laughs> you got a guitar, sweet. I got a wooden chair. What do you need? And here's what I want to press us into today as a church, and especially as we step into community groups and as we're gathering together and meeting together, is that this is the opportunity for you to meet the needs of other people around you. And chances are, you've got something that someone else needs. The question I want to ask us is, will you Hold on to it, or will you release it? Here's what the Lord's inviting this church to do as we enter our fifth year, to hold everything with open hands so that we can bless, so that we can give. We like to say it this way. We're, we're bold in generosity. We're, we're lavish with our giving. We want to stir up a spirit of courageous giving because we believe it's in the heart of God to be generous for God so loved the world that he gave. And he gave the thing that was most precious to him. He didn't hold back his own son. I would struggle with that if God was like, hey, like Abraham, take Liam to the top of Park City and sacrifice him on the top of the mountain. I'd be like, I don't know if I can do it, God. Just being honest. I think you guys have probably wrestled with that yourselves. But God didn't hold back that which was precious to him. He gave. He gave. And here, in the same spirit, of generosity, the spirit of the Holy Spirit, the wind and fire of God has come upon them. And what are they doing? They're giving, they're distributing, they're selling, they're investing, they're sharing, they're generous. And they're not afraid to be, as any had need, meaning whatever the need was, they found a way to meet it. I just love the picture of this. As a church, this is, this is what we're investing in. Meeting needs, yes, but changing lives for all eternity, amen? Are you generous? people of God, we got to learn to be courageous in our giving, bold in generosity. Amen. And then finally, and lastly today, number eight, to be a people that are grateful in all things. It says this verse 46, and day by day, 
Let's put it up there, Liam, number eight. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47, praising God and having favor. The word actually here in the Greek is charis, which means grace. Praising God and having favor and grace with all of the people. I love that we are in October. You want to know why? Because it means that we're one month closer to November. And November means Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving means we get to eat like there's no tomorrow. Come on, somebody. We get to receive our food with glad and generous hearts. The, the King James and the ASV actually say they received their meat with Thanksgiving. I think we should go back to that because it's, it's, that's an invitation for, for you carnivores out there. They received their food with thanksgiving, with glad and grateful hearts. Can I tell you something? Thanksgiving isn't just a holiday. It's a lifestyle that God invites us into. To be grateful in all things. What I call having an attitude of gratitude. Let me ask you, how's your attitude? Are you grateful? Are you content with what God's given you? Or are you looking at the Joneses? Are you looking at your friends on social media when they get back from their vacation and they do their photo dump and they post all their great pictures at the beach, living the life, and you're like, man, I wish I had that, right? God invites us to be grateful in all things, to, to lean into what I'm going to call a thankful contentment for what God's given us, because all of life is a gift. And here's the response. Thank you. Thank you for life today, God. Thank you that I'm still here. Thank you for my wife who you've given me. He who finds a good wife finds a good thing. Come on, somebody. Thank you for my kids that you've blessed me with. And make no mistake, children are a blessing and a reward from the Lord. That's why we dedicated last week. Thank you for this job that I have. Thank you for the opportunity to serve these beautiful, wonderful people. Thank you. I wonder what you're thankful for today. Here's what First Thessalonians 5.18 says. So let's put it up there. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ. Aren't you thankful that he didn't say be thankful for all circumstances? Can I tell you, there's some things that I'm not thankful for, but he says be thankful in it. And there's a big difference. Be thankful in all circumstances. That means no matter what you're going through, no matter where you find yourself, you can find a reason to be thankful. You can find a reason to rejoice, to be grateful in all things. So I've answered the what. The eight reasons or, or eight things that I believe God wants us to practice as a blueprint for our lives. And I want to end with this. Where? Where do we practice them? The short answer for us as a church is our weekend gatherings and our community groups. Our weekend gatherings and our community groups. Let's throw it up there, Liam. Here's what verse 46 goes on to say. And day by day, they attended the temple together. These are what I'm going to call big spaces. And they broke bread in their homes, what I'm calling little spaces. The truth is, there are spaces designed for you and I to grow in different ways. Which means the church is called to both big spaces and little spaces. Is the church only about attending the big service, the temple gathering, the chapel, the theater? No. Is it only about breaking bread in the home? No, it's not either or, it's both and. 
It's both and. And we don't try and divide between them based on our personal preferences, but that's the temptation for some of us. We don't divide between them because they both serve different purposes. Our, our big spaces like we're doing here today facilitate corporate worship and corporate prayer and the teaching of the apostles and the work of the spirit and fellowship within the whole body. And they remind us that we're part of something much bigger and more amazing than we could possibly understand. What we're doing here is bigger than us. And at the same time, our small spaces, our community groups are designed and, and better equipped, I would say, to facilitate the breaking of, of bread and the meeting of each other's individual needs and specific moments for confession and prayer so that healing can come and flow into our lives. And they remind us that God made us to also be fully known by others, to be known. So in conclusion, what's the outcome when we do this? When we follow God's blueprint for our lives, here it is, Acts 2.48, let's throw it up there. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What's the outcome? People get saved. What's the outcome? People's lives changed. What's the outcome? Eternities and trajectories for families are forever altered and transformed because of these eight things, because of this reality. Beloved, we've got to commit to this, to follow God's blueprint for our lives together. And when we do, we have this assurance that people are going to get saved, that lives are going to be changed. And what's more important than that? Amen. What's more important than people getting saved? Come on, somebody. That's why we exist. So if you're still on the fence about all this Jesus stuff and you're still on the fence about joining a community group, why not make today your day to do that? Why not make today the day that you go all in and sign up and, and get involved and, and make your life known to somebody else, amen? Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.